what if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Do you know your blood sugar? You should, because blood sugar that's too high uh, for too long leads to all kinds of serious yet preventable health problems. And low blood sugar can be just as hazardous to your health. Whether you know you have type 2 diabetes or not, you need to know your blood sugar. So this week we're asking, why should I care about my blood sugar and what are some fixes that I can do? Welcome back, Anar. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So how many of your clients actually know their blood sugar? Okay, so I work with clients who specifically have prediabetes, insulin resistance, or type 2. But having said that, a lot of them are not exactly aware of their blood sugar you know, for the past, you know, few months. Um, so they typically go to a doctor to get their blood panel done. And, you know, their doctor may say everything looks okay, or things are a little bit high, you need to, you know, work on your lifestyle. So then when I talk to them, and I ask them specifically, you know, what is your fasting blood sugar? What is your A1C, which is a three month marker. So the A1C measures the amount of sugar that's stuck around your red blood cell. So it's a percentage. So, you know, surprisingly, a lot of people don't know what their A1C is, even though they've been told they have, you know, elevated blood sugar levels. So, you know, to answer your question, yeah, a lot of people, it's kind of hit and miss. Some people do know what their blood sugars are, but a lot of them still don't. Um, before we begin our conversation, can you give us a hi, my name is, tell us what you do and where you do it. Just ad lib. Yeah, sure. So my name is Anara Aladina. I'm a registered dietitian. I specialize in blood sugar management. So I work with clients who have polycystic ovarian syndrome, uh, PCOS, prediabetes, and type 2 diabetes. And I have a virtual, virtual practice. I'm based in the greater Toronto area. What is the ideal blood sugar range for the average adult? Okay, so for the average adult, you know, you want to have a fasting blood sugar of 5.6 millimoles or less. So for those of you, for those people who have a blood sugar reading higher than that could indicate some imbalances with your blood sugar. Uh, for people who have already been diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, you really want to have a fasting blood sugar less than 7 millimoles per liter. Okay. Um, how does that change as we age? Yeah. So as we age, um, so type two diabetes, one of the risk factor is being over the age of 40 or 45. So as we get older, you know, our body also ages, same with our organs, like our pancreas, which is responsible for producing insulin. So as our body is aging, it's not as efficient, um, you know, in kind of regulating everything. So as we get older, yes, our chances of you know, some of these metabolic conditions do increase. And that's why it's so important at a younger age to really take care of your health and really be proactive on that. Now, you know, it, it strikes me that we're not just talking, having this conversation before a group of people who know they have type 2 diabetes or, or pre-diabetes. We're talking to people who have no idea what their blood sugar is. So how often should they be checking their blood sugar to, to see if they're creeping into the pre-diabetic uh, pre range? 
Yes. So that's an excellent question. So first of all, getting, you know, meeting with your doctor annually to get a blood panel done is a great way to stay on top of your health. Um, and it's so wonderful now, you know, because we can log in and check our, you know, our, um, our blood work. We can see everything. We have a record of it. So I really encourage people to, you know, look at that and look at the trends of what's happening, you know? So if your A1C, which is, you know, a really good robust measure of your blood sugar, and it's typically done in a routine exam. You don't need to be fasting for that. Um, you just want to look at it year on year to see, you know, is it trending upwards? Is it relatively stable? And that will give you a really good indication on how things are progressing. Um, you know, if you had, you know, recent weight gain in the past year, you know, if there was like a really stressful event in your life that has happened, you really want to make sure, you know, you do stay on top of your blood work at least once a year to check how things are working out for you. You know, it's interesting that you said that the, the hemoglobin A1C, uh, I guess my first thought would have been people who have diabetes should, should be uh, following that very closely. But it kind of makes sense that rather than checking random blood sugars here and there, which, which can be very misleading, that, that uh, hemoglobin A1C would be a far more robust measure of whether or not you're moving into the, the range where you're a, a pre-diabetic, if not a diabetic. Exactly. So the A1C, like you said, it is very robust. It looks over the past three months on how your body is utilizing everything. So it is a really good indication. Um, you know, like you said, just taking a random blood sugar is, you know, missing a lot of other things, right? Like it could be so dependent on other factors. Um, but the A1C is a really good measure. And that's something that, you know, I highly recommend everyone once a year get done. But certainly if you do have pre-diabetes or diabetes, uh, you're following your sugar a lot more closely. How closely? Yeah. So if you have been diagnosed with prediabetes or type two, I would highly recommend getting a blood sugar monitor. You know, nowadays they have these fancy wearables like the CGM, which are really expensive, um, but you don't necessarily need to get that. Even just getting from the drugstore, a glucometer that you can kind of, you know, pick a few days a week to see how things are are working for you, that would be a wonderful uh, thing to have to stay proactive. But in terms of getting your A1C measured, depends. You know, if you are someone who, you know, has an A1C above seven, you want to be getting that done every three or four months. Um, someone in, with prediabetes, I would say at least twice a year getting your A1C checked would be a good idea. There is a, a question that I'm going to be sneaking into a lot of episodes of The Dose, um, and that is the fact that 6.5 million Canadians, that's the estimate, don't have, don't have primary care, don't have a family doctor or nurse practitioner. So uh, have you ever recommended that somebody go out and buy, somebody who doesn't have a family doctor, go out and buy a glucometer and, and, and just check it for themselves? Yeah, 100%. Um, especially, you know, if they already know that they have prediabetes, if they're having, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, issues in terms of like low energy, just not feeling the best, uh, then I would say, you know, yeah, absolutely. You can go and to the drugstore to get a glucometer and see for yourself how things are working out for you. You know, I, I think, if, um, you know, certainly when it comes to high blood pressure, um, it's, it's a silent disease. It, you know, people don't have symptoms. Uh, you can get some symptoms with an elevated blood sugar, um, depending on how high it is. What are some of those? Remind us what some of those are. Yeah, exactly. So if you if your sugar levels are elevated, some symptoms you may be experiencing is just being really tired, um, having a lot of anxiety um, that could definitely cause because you're having such fluctuations, uh, you know, being thirsty, 
that's another sign that maybe your blood sugars are off, you know? So having really thirst, uh, having a lot of thirst, again, this is just your body is trying to dilute that blood sugar because it has nowhere to go. So, you know, drinking water can help dilute that. So a lot of people do have, do feel very thirsty. Again, increased urination. Uh, This is, again, your body's defense mechanism to help kind of flush things out. Um, So those are some examples of having elevated blood sugars. Uh, and and I think it's probably fair to say that um, the symptoms don't always correlate precisely to the severity of the blood sugar elevation. So some people are going to are going to have are going to be more sensitive, and you know their bodies are going to react more 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 quickly to a low to a to a modestly elevated blood sugar, and some people won't have the symptoms that you've just described. You know the classic polyuria, polydipsia, like like excessive thirst and excessive urination, unless they have a very very high blood sugar. That's true. That's very true. Hey, I'm Tom Power. I'm the host of the podcast Q with Tom Power, where we talk to all kinds of artists, actors, writers, musicians, painters. We had Green Day on the other day talking about their huge album, American Idiot. Nicole Byer came on to talk about ADHD and comedy. And then there's Dan Levy. While we were talking about filmmaking, we talked about his insecurities. I sometimes feel like I have this desire to like perform, to be a version of myself that people might like. Listen to Q with Tom Power to hear your favorite artists as they truly are wherever you get your podcasts. You know, I'm an emergency physician. I've lost count of the number of patients I've treated in the ER for for low blood sugar, hypoglycemia. The symptoms include shakiness, sweats, nervousness, irritability, confusion, hunger. Um, When blood sugar gets really low, it can cause coma and seizures and can be lethal. Um, And and, uh, there is a very strong correlation to the food's that people eat. And as a registered dietitian, like when you, when you see somebody who is having crashes, having lots of low blood sugar episodes, what, uh, what's behind that diet wise and and what are the fixes? Yeah. So usually when people do have a lot of, um, you want to think of it like a roller coaster, right? So their blood sugars are elevated and then they dip down because whatever goes up needs to come back down and then they eat something. And then again, it spikes up. So, you know, throughout the day they're experiencing, highs and lows of blood sugar fluctuation. And taking a look at your diet, you know, um, can really give a lot of insight. So for people who have a diet that's high in refined carbohydrates, a lot of sugars like white flour, a lot of packaged foods, um, sweet foods like uh, juices, pop, uh, you know, those specialty coffee drinks that tend to have a lot of sugar in them, muffins, you know, those kinds of foods that really break down very quickly in our body. Yes, it does give us energy, but it really increases our blood sugars. And then we experience a dip and that dip is the hypoglycemia. So when we're experiencing a dip, we, like you said, you know, we just feel tired, shaky, irritable, hungry, even, um, you know, and our body signaling to us that we need something for energy. And then sometimes, you know, we typically gravitate to easy, you know, grab and go foods, which tend to be high in carbohydrates and sugar. So really taking a look at your diet to make sure you're getting enough nutrients in there, enough, you know, specifically protein and fiber, because these two nutrients really help slow down how those sugars are 
you know, released in your body. You know, they kind of act like a buffer. So really working to make sure you're getting enough protein and fiber with your meals or every single time you eat can really help you stabilize those blood sugar readings. Uh, and and as somebody who from time to time reaches for the wrong foods uh, and and experiences those crashes, that that's good information to know. And 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 what role do cravings play? In, in choosing the wrong foods? Yes. So typically um, when our blood sugar does drop, that's when we you know feel hungry. We have cravings like sugar cravings specifically. And, you know, typically, you know, many people experience cravings uh, in the afternoon around 3 PM. And again, in the evening, and this is just, again, goes with our circadian rhythm as well. So we all naturally have a dip in our energy levels in the afternoon. So one way, if you are someone who has a lot of cravings in the afternoon, one of the best things you can do is really focus on your midday meal, so around lunchtime, uh, to make sure you're getting enough protein and fiber with that. Um, additionally, you don't want to be cutting out carbs drastically. Uh, that's not a good long-term solution. So you want to make sure you are including carbohydrates that give you fiber. Okay. So, you know, I'm talking about whole grains. So if you are having a sandwich, you know, opting for, you know, a whole grain, a rye, sourdough, that's going to give you that fiber. That's going to slow down how your, your, the way that your food is digested. So really paying attention uh, to your midday meal when you, if you do experience cravings in the afternoon can really help for sure in terms of keeping your blood sugar a little bit more balanced and stable so that you you know, feel better as well, because our blood sugar is a direct reflection of our energy level. And you've said it already. I'm going to underscore this. Um, nobody's saying cut out sugar altogether because you, there are parts of the body, your brain, for instance, that requires sugar. It requires sugar, requires glucose to be able to, to run. So if you're going to like to, to operate uh, optimally. So, so we don't, we're not saying avoid sugar, but just modify the kinds of sugar that you consume to avoid some of the roller coasters that, uh, you know, the, 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 the dips and the, and the, and the highs followed by the dips that, that, that can, can mess with your energy level during the day. Um, uh, that said, some people do consume too much sugar. And so, uh, how do you, as a registered dietitian, how do you go about getting people to change their diet, uh, what, what could be decades of, of eating habits. Uh, how do you change those? Okay. So the first thing that I like to talk to my clients about is figure out what you can add to your diet. Okay. Um, so adding in more nutrient dense foods to help replace some of those foods that really don't have much in them. So looking at each meal specifically, you know, for breakfast, for example, um, you know, educating on, you know, getting more protein in. So if you are someone who, you know, really enjoys, let's say, you know, a, a like sugar in your coffee, you know, just working to, it doesn't mean you have to completely cut out the sugars, but maybe you can decrease how much of that you're adding in, or maybe you can have your beverage, your coffee drink after you have some protein that's going to help kind of stabilize your blood sugars. You know, anything that's liquid and sweet is going to hit your bloodstream right away. Um, so, you know, looking at your first meal of the day, this is going to be the best thing anyone can do for their health. You know, you really want to be strategic with the sugars that you're getting in at your first meal. So if you're someone who drinks orange juice, for example, you know, I would say, okay, first have your breakfast and then maybe have a little bit of orange juice or better yet have an actual orange because the fiber is still there. Whereas in orange juice, the fiber, you know, is not there. You're just getting the liquid. 
um, and making sure you're getting protein in. So, you know, for example, if someone is used to having, you know, a toast with butter, so why not make that toast with some avocado or an egg, which is going to give you healthy fats, fiber, and the egg is going to give you that protein. So it's going to be a more balanced breakfast, you know, and then if you wanted to have something sweet, you know, fruit or a little bit of juice after that, then, you know, your body's going to be able to slowly digest those sugars. So it's not necessarily cutting, like you mentioned, cutting all the sugar out. It's just being strategic and figuring out what you can add to whatever you enjoy that's going to give you you know, the nutrients like healthy fats, fiber, and protein, which is going to slow down the way those sugars are absorbed in your body. What about water consumption? Uh, what do you recommend? Uh, how, what's the relationship between water consumption and, and, and blood sugar? Yes. So again, the more hydrated you are, the better your body's able to kind of do its thing, um, especially with blood sugar. You know, sometimes it can get concentrated in our body. So having enough water can help dilute that. Uh, so that's really important. Um, so staying hydrated is key. Got it. Um, now, to what extent do you incorporate uh, non-dietary measures that are important for lifestyle like sleep, exercise into your pitch, into the kind of global advice that you're giving your clients? Yes. So definitely. Um, when it comes to blood sugars, obviously our diet plays a huge role. Um, but then there's other factors as well, which you mentioned, right? So our exercise can really help, you know, getting movement in, in our bodies and the way we are living now, you know, a lot of us have computer jobs, we're sitting, we're, we're sedentary, we're not moving as much, and this doesn't help our, our body at all. So getting in at least, you know, 30 minutes of physical activity, you know, every day is going to be beneficial. And it doesn't have to be anything crazy. It could be, you know, going for a walk. Um, it could, you could even be strategic about it. After you have your meals, going for a 10-minute walk, you know, studies have shown this really helps with your post-meal blood sugars. So that could be a, a really great um, thing to implement, you know, just moving your body for 10 to 15 minutes after you eat, instead of if you don't have the time to structure in exercise during the day. Um, so that works as well. Um, again, sleep, making sure we're getting enough sleep is so critical for our blood sugars. Um, you know, again, when we sleep, that's when our body can reset. This is when our hormones can rebalance. Um, you know, and studies have shown that if we get like a, a one night of bad sleep can really impact our insulin levels. So, you know, we wake up, you know, we're not rested. We tend to crave more carb-rich foods because our body is deprived of like energy. And that's definitely not going to help our blood sugars. Now, uh, we've been talking a lot about type 2 diabetes, a little less about pre-diabetes. What are, what are the signs that someone may be developing insulin resistance uh, or uh, frankly in the pre-diabetes stage, which would be, I guess, an ideal opportunity to try to nip it in the bud? Yes, exactly. So, you know, if you've been diagnosed with pre-diabetes, you know, don't take this lightly. You know, this is an opportunity for you. It's kind of like a warning sign that you have control to bring that back to normal levels. And, um, you know, so it is a blessing to be in disguise, right. To be diagnosed mm -hmm. with prediabetes because you can actually fix that. Um, so insulin resistance is occurs, you know, and some symptoms of that include, you know, even just taking a look at your 
your blood work again, right? If you're someone who has high triglyceride levels, it's a type of cholesterol. These typically follow in line with our blood sugar. So if our tri- triglycerides are elevated, then that can show some signs with our triglycerides, our, our blood sugars. If we have a waist circumference for women, if it's greater than 35 inches for men, if it's greater than 40 inches, this, these are signs of insulin resistance when we're carrying more weight around our midsection. Um, when our blood pressure is elevated, if it's over 130 over 80, that's signs of insulin resistance. If you are someone who has PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, chances are that you know there is some insulin resistance going on. Um, so you, know, you could get a fasting insulin done, but typically you know, not all uh, doctors do request that. And if you're not able to, just taking a look at your cholesterol panel, taking a look at your waist circumference, taking a look at your blood pressure. You know, these are some signs um, that, you know, if if you've been diagnosed with fatty liver, that's another indication of insulin resistance. Additionally, if you have skin tags on your body, if you have dark velvety patches around the folds of your skin, so under your arms, around your neck, those are also signs of insulin resistance as well, that your body is not as efficient at, you know, utilizing the sugar um, in your body, right? So your blood sugar could still be at a normal level, but you have these other symptoms that are coming up uh, and, you know, changing your lifestyle can really help with with managing those uh, conditions. You see clients who have polycystic ovarian syndrome. You see clients who have prediabetes, who have type 2 diabetes. Um, At what point are you nudging your clients who you try to help uh, with your best advice back to their their family doctor, nurse practitioner for, for more intensive management and maybe starting medications? Yes. So definitely... You know, medication is um, a great, it's another tool in the toolbox. So, you know, if someone is in the pre-diabetes PCOS, you know, range, we really look at their lifestyle first. But yes, you know, sometimes, you know, having a strong family history of type 2 diabetes, you know, being at a certain ethnic group just puts us at a higher risk. And um, sometimes, yes, things are out of our control. You know, we could be doing the best we can. And medication can definitely be a great source. And, you know, you know, a lot of my clients don't want to start medication, but some of them absolutely have, because there's only so much that they can do, right. They need that extra support. Um, so, you know, if, if blood sugars are not, you know, if their A1C is coming back and it's, you know, going up or, you know, they're just not feeling the best or they're having a really hard time. Yeah. So that's when I would definitely suggest that, you know, why don't we, have a conversation about medication, talk to your doctor and see what would be the best way to go about that. Um, But definitely medication. I don't want you to think if you are someone who has type 2 diabetes, if you're on medication, that you don't need to worry about your lifestyle. Not at all. (laughs) Medication is another tool. And, you know, using that in conjunction with a healthy lifestyle is is absolutely amazing. And it can really help with keeping things in check and preventing further complications later on. So yes, medication is definitely a great tool. And um, I don't want you to think of it as kind of like, okay, it's, you know, I can 
not be on medication or I have to be, you know, like I want you to kind of combine the lifestyle and the medication piece as well. Well, Anar Aladina, thank you so much for uh, providing us some advice. And, you know, to those people who maybe don't have a family doctor, nurse practitioner, you've provided some good advice that could at least get you started on the road to uh, uh, regulating your your blood sugar and maybe not becoming a pre-diabetic or having diabetes. So thanks very much for speaking with us. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Anar Aladina is a registered dietitian and certified diabetes educator. Here's your dose of smart advice. Type 2 diabetes is very common. Pre-diabetes means blood sugar levels are higher than normal but not high enough to be called type 2 diabetes. Many people with pre-diabetes develop type 2 diabetes eventually. The health complications of diabetes include heart attack and stroke, poor circulation, kidney disease, vision problems, and nerve damage. Long-term complications of diabetes, such as heart disease, may begin during pre-diabetes. Regulating blood sugar levels helps prevent complications. Blood sugar levels vary throughout the day. Before meals, the suggested target blood glucose range is 4.0 to 8.0 millimoles per liter. Two hours after meals, the range is 5.0 to 10.0 millimoles per liter. The target blood sugar may vary. Talk to your healthcare provider about the ideal blood sugar range for you. And get your A1C checked once a year if you don't have diabetes and more often if you do. A1C measures your diabetes control over a three-month period. An A1C of 7.0% or less is recommended for most adults. Type 2 diabetes can often be managed with weight loss, healthy eating, and regular exercise. Diet affects blood sugar. Fatigue and craving sweets and caffeine after meals usually means that the blood sugar has cratered. Consuming less carbs overall, more complex carbs, and more fiber can help address those cravings and help regulate blood glucose. If you consume lots of sugar, reduce it gradually at first, beginning with breakfast. A good first meal of the day is key to better blood sugar control. Have a bit of protein first, which makes it more palatable to begin gradually decreasing sugar at breakfast. Instead of toast and butter, try toast and avocado or egg. The healthier your breakfast, the less your energy will crash and the less you'll crave snacks. Diabetes medications are usually needed when targets for blood sugar and A1C cannot be met by other means. If you have topics you'd like discussed or questions answered, our email address is thedose at cbc.ca. If you like this episode, please give us a rating and review wherever you listen. This edition of The Dose was produced by Stephanie Dubois. Our senior producer is Colleen Ross. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. If you're looking for medical advice, see your health care provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.